Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuan. And on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes their terry practice work, both timely and timeless. So fuel up your swamp dragons, count the number of bricks you have left in your box, and join us on our journey through The Last Hero and the complete discography. Good evening and welcome to the 27th edition of the Complete Discography. I'm going to change the intro text every single time I do this show. Tonight we are talking about an uh, especially interesting book, uh, The Last Hero, a Discworld fable, which was first published in 2001. And it involves a lot more art than we usually see in um, in these books, which is a lot of fun. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, it's like fully illustrated. Um, so before we dive in, let's go with our silly titles. Uh, Anna, you want to lead us off? Sure. Uh, I'm Anna, and I'm actually a rocket wizard. I am Justin, and I have reached out and punched the stupid face of Io. I am Aaron, heretic to Suivo and frequent practitioner of panupunitoplasty. Uh, and Matt? Yeah, so I didn't go with a nickname. My name is Lego Ang Morpork. So I oh. thought having a nickname might be a bit overkill. Um, I do have a real <laughs> name, which is Matt, but Lego Ang Morpork is how I'll be known. So yeah, we, we invited Matt on tonight because of his uh, pretty amazing project. Obviously, we will link uh, all over the place in the show notes. Uh, he is rapidly building out uh, a lot of uh, Ankh-Morpork and beyond in, in Lego format. Um, Matt, how, how did you get involved? Uh, how, what was your entry point into the Discworld? So firstly, thank you very much for having me. Um, never done a podcast, so hopefully I do okay. Um, but yeah, so my my dad was uh, a big fan, and it was a case of every time, every year, we would buy him a paperback. He only had the paperback versions. He was in the Navy, so he used to take them away with him. And when he brought them home, um, I would pinch them off the shelf and read them for myself. Um I guess when, you, when you're young and you're reading them, you get the jokes to a certain extent, but it's mostly funny characters, right? Um, so I also got kind of introduced even more by the, the original PC game, the point-and-click mm. Discworld game. Um, and I still have shut up, sit down, don't talk. If you're mad, you don't want to go around infecting everybody else, stuck in my head <laughs> all of these decades later, um, just because I got stuck on that bit for so long. Mm-hmm. But I think that... Introduced me to Rinse Wind and the luggage. And obviously, that was a guards guard story, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. But it, all of the characters were kind of in there. Is that the one voiced by Eric Idle? It is, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that really got me into it. And then I, you know, I kind of went back to the books and started listening to the Tony Robinson audio cassettes, mm-hmm. the, the abridged versions. And um, used to get those out from the library and kind of left it for a, quite a while, which I'm kind of glad I did. So I was a bit older when I picked the books up again and I read them again. And I think I didn't get any of these jokes mm-hmm. the first time I looked at these, but they're hilarious. Like, all of these books are great. 
And I think it went from Rincewind being my favourite character to the the characters in the Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that the Watch series for me is um, amazing, and ironically, like the the Paul Kidby art as well. So I've got one of his art books. I think it was in '96. Um, was one of the the first ones they brought out with his Discworld art, and just fell in love with his pictures. So. Ended up copying or well, using one of them as inspiration for my GCSE art project. So GCSEs are like the, the end of high school exams. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so kind of progressed from there. Last year, just I decided I wanted to. I've always wanted to build a Lego city. It's always been something I wanted to do. I went to Legoland as a kid and I saw this amazing version of London built in Lego. I was like, I want to do this. I'm never going to have space to do this or money to do this. I want to do this. And it got to a point last year and I thought, you know what? I want to build a city. What better city to build than Ankh-Morpork with all of its um, iconic locations? And I mentioned it to um, my brother-in-law-to-be. Um, just a bit of a throwaway thing. It's a really good idea. Should um, should share that with people, that, that people see it. Mm-hmm. People would be interested in it. I don't think they will. Um, started the Twitter page. Anyway, I've got seven followers, and I was like, oh, my God, it's, it's gone viral. I've got <laughs> seven people that are watching this page. And it's kind, kind of escalated from there. And you can see, obviously you guys can see in the, the background, they've got the, the mended drum. We've started the, the post office mm. over there, which is um, I haven't really posted any pictures of yet. And I've got the, the alchemist gill blowing up behind my head. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, that's, that's just probably more than you asked for. But that's, that's where I got into Discworld, into Terry Pratchett, and got the inspiration for the project. What's um, if you were, you know, walking along the shelf and you just needed a comfort read? What's what's a book you always come back to? Um, Feet of Clay, I think. Mm. It's a good so one. yeah, I, I really enjoy. It. I think um, you got really good cat. Cheery Little Bottom is probably one of my favorite characters. To, uh, obviously, like for a lot of people, cheery means a great deal. Mm-hmm. I think obviously Terry Pratchett is brilliant at creating characters, but I think the combination of cheery, obviously detritus, and all of these amazing, amazing non-human characters, and then you've got Vimes and Carrot, who's a dwarf but not a dwarf, etc. And I think for me, I could just pick that book up every time, and or even just stick on the. I think I've listened to the audio book probably half a dozen times mm-hmm. over the last six months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's for me. But to be honest, you can, any of them, like even books like Small Gods, other standalone ones like that, you can just pick up and none, none of them are too heavy going, are they? Mm-hmm. That's good. Although Justin hasn't read Nightwatch yet. No, we're getting there. No. Um, <laughs> wow. No, so the I, conceit of this podcast is that Justin is reading all of these in chronological order for the first time. Uh, and Anna and I have read a, a all of them except for Shepherd's Crown. Is that intentional? There's a lot of people don't read Shepherd's Crown. I have. I bought it when when Sir Terry passed, and I ha- cannot bring myself to read it. So this whole thing is just to rip off that bandage. But you haven't read Nightwatch. Justin, Justin hasn't. I, yeah, uh, just me. I we we have not gotten to that point in the order yet. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. That's two but away. It's, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming very soon. The, mm-hmm. We're all very excited. That was Terry Pratchett in God Mode. That was. Mm. That was. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, the. <laughs> um, oh, 
I, I haven't talked about this because we haven't recorded since they came in. Um, so so I, I, I read mostly on ebook these days uh, because it's just easier and it means that I don't have to run out of space. But for Christmas, I asked for some of the, the nice uh, Galant edition, the, the Collector Library edition ones. And, you know, I was like, okay, what are the books that I've loved so far? So, you know, I, I put Feet of Clay, more uh, and uh, Lords and Ladies. And I, I was like, I have heard so much about this stupid book that I'm just going to say, <laughs> I'll toss a Night Watch in there as well as on my wish list. So I like I asked for that as a Christmas gift on faith. So I am I am prepared to have my socks not. <laughs> I hope we're not working it up too much. <laughs> Anna, do you want to quickly summarize uh, at least the story of the last hero for us before we start talking about it? Yeah. So um, the silver horde are back, baby. Um, so specifically, they've gotten bored with simply ruling the Agatean Empire and want to do something really spectacular for their actual retirement. Cohen and his band have packed up a giant barrel of the Empire's finest explosives and are dragging it all the way up the mountain at the center of the disc in order to return fire to the gods with interest. Unsurprisingly, their group picks up a few more members as it travels, including a bard who they conscript to write the saga of their adventure, evil Harry Dread, the last professional Dark Lord, and Vina, the formerly Raven-Haired, another uh, previous adventurer who has taken to killing bandits with her knitting. News reaches Ankmore Pork about Cohen's expedition, and the wizards explain that it's not as harmless as it might seem. If the Horde succeed, they won't just blow up the gods, they'll alter the flow of magic and destroy the whole disc. Unfortunately, the Horde has a head start. Uh, any team sent from Ankh-Morpork will have to be innovative in their means of travel. Luckily, Vetinari has kept Leonard of Quirm around for just these sorts of eventualities. Leonard builds a very strange ship, which will be launched over the rim of the disc and, with dragon power, slingshot around the underside of the disc and directly toward Cory Celeste. Captain Carrot volunteers for the mission, naturally, and Rincewind is sent along as well. Of course, things don't go quite according to plan for anyone. The librarian sneaks aboard the ship, uh, meaning that the crew must make an emergency landing on the moon to replenish both their air and refuel their dragons. Evil Harry betrays the Horde, as he promised he would, and alerts the gods to their imminent arrival. So the Horde must sneak into the citadel of the gods in disguise, while the ship crash lands at its gates. When everyone's finally in the same place, the Horde are very intimidated by Carrot, who is a single brave man with a plain sword. Uh, so the elderly heroes assume that he is a another unbeatable hero, just like them. Rinsman explains to the Horde what the effect the explosion would have on the disc, um, but unfortunately does so after the fuse is lit. So the Horde managed to save the world one last time by riding the bomb down the mountain on a wheelchair so it can detonate safe safely. However, when the Valkyries come to collect them, the old heroes decide that, eh, they're not quite done yet. So they steal the Valkyrie's horses and head off to do heroic stuff on other worlds. In the aftermath, Carrot, Leonard, Rinsmond, and the Librarian all get their various boons and punishments from the gods. Leonard must paint the roof of the Temple of Small Gods with a mural of the disc. 
Carrot asks for the ship to be repaired so that they can return to Ankh-Morpork safely. The librarian wants supplies for the library, and Rincewind wants a blue balloon. Don't ask. The Horde free the first hero, who originally stole fire from the gods, from his eternal torment, and the bard composes the disc's first metal ballad to commemorate his experiences. And that's the that's the story part of the book. <laughs> this is an interesting one. It, it throws together a lot of characters that we've seen before in sort of a, a new but also very familiar mix. Obviously, the perspective characters are primarily the old heroes and the young, well, new heroes. I, I don't know how old Leonard is. <laughs> Le- Leonard, but, you know. Leonard's young at heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's an interesting one. It's um, I'm I'm I couldn't find any details about what they mean in particular by the a, the subtitle, a Discworld fable, as opposed to the other books. I mean, I would guess that it's essentially like novella length. Ah, yeah, it's it's a di- it's obviously it's a lot shorter, and it has I it's a very different format. Hmm. Because I'd say I'd say a good quarter of page space of this book is taken up by illustrations. Uh, and actually, I'm realizing that there's another Cohen story that in timeline happens before this, which is Trollbridge. Which there's actually a very good short film of it. You can find it on YouTube. Interesting. Yeah, it's co. It's a similar vibe though. It's Cohen sort of like struggling with changing times. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting one as well with the, the troll kind of just struggling with married life yeah. as well. Which is <laughs> <laughs> it's it's weird. It kind of feels like fan fiction in some ways. Mm. Like throwing together lots of characters on a kind of zany-ish plot um it's it's pretty fun honestly mm-hmm. the vibe i got while reading this was that paul kidby had a lot of fun art of Discworld lying around and between him and terry they just were like okay let's use some of this art let's make a lot of let's make a lot of fun scenarios where we can have some i like all the art in this book is either hilarious breathtaking or both i think is like mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Um, and it's delightful. It's there. There's a bunch of great, a bunch of great stuff there. But it it definitely feels like a very very pared down story. But it does sort of feel like the best iteration we've had of the the Rincewind formula. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good Rincewind book. Yeah, just looking at just to give you all a sense of timing. Uh, the first cover that Paul Kidby drew, uh, according to this article at least, was Nightwatch, because Kirby died in two thousand one, which is the same year as this book was released. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what my thinking was. Um, obviously, like you said, he had, Justin said there was a lot of um, art that Paul Kidby had around this world, mm-hmm. um, but I think because Josh Kirby had been doing these these covers in the same sort of style for all of these years, they needed to introduce readers to Paul Kidby's work. Mm. And mm-hmm. a lot of them might not have picked up just the art books, but a story is going to get people's attention a bit more. So I think maybe that's another way. And you guess when you kind of think of the readers as well, a lot of the people who started in the series, they were all getting older. Um, 
a picture book's a kid's book, right? I know this story isn't for kids, but the, the way it's set out is a children's book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it will introduce a younger audience who can look at these pictures at the same time. I'm not saying, like I said, kids, but the size of the text in this book is quite huge as well. I don't know if you've seen it recently, yeah. um, but it's at least like three times the size of a, the normal books. Mm-hmm. All right. I think there's quite a lot of tactics going into to why it's got been created. And I think it's more than um, more than an accident of having all the the, the images on every page and things. I think mm-hmm. There's more reason for it. And and Aaron, you might be able to speak to this, but I would say that the even if it's not for kids, I would say that it'd be pretty accessible to a fairly young audience. Mm-hmm. Younger, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of things like even, you know, even his YA books elsewhere uh, that will go over, you know, even an advanced young reader's head, especially the sort of the themes that we can we can go into in a second that revolve around this feeling of getting older and feeling out of place in your own world and stuff. I definitely think like the, the rinse wind side of things could be a children's book like if you think of what he does he doesn't want to be the hero so straight away he's like well i'm gonna tell you right now that i'm gonna be on the crew mm-hmm. so I might as well um but then like it's almost going into a wallace and gromit situation where they, they go onto the moon yep. Uh, yep. all these sort of things that happened to rincewind could be out of a, a kid's story mm-hmm. they? and obviously Terry Pratchett's amazing at having all the, the the undertones to yeah to his work that could go either way. It could be for adults, could be for kids, and yeah, I I, I really agree with that uh, take. You know, especially it, it reminds me especially of sort of early Pixar too, where it's not pandering, but there's mm-hmm. jokes at every level for every sort of level of reader. So somehow I had read this before. I had I wasn't sure whether I had read this before because I didn't recall reading the like illustrated version. And that's because I somehow didn't read the illustrated version. I read an ebook that doesn't have the illustrations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um which is wild. So I I started the book and I was like, "Oh, obviously this is the one with where Rincewind goes to space. I was wondering where that was because like I had this memory of Rincewind going to space and that hasn't happened yet. So is that just like a fever dream? Did I hallucinate Rincewind going to space? And no, here it was. <laughs> so something that I that I that I came through with like my first impression of this book is there is a way where a book of like a we'll say like a novella-sized Discworld story with illustrations could easily have been a thing I slept through. Um, But I I think it is both with the work of Kidby and I I think Terry definitely got what he was trying to do here. It's a, it's, it is like the, the, the illustrations are, they don't just, they, they don't just supplement the story they are adding on to it in ways that just you could not do with just text. Like absolutely, there's um, there's a fantastic one. There, or there's a fantastic illustration which is um, like something you'd see out of like a 
like an Osprey illustrated like book where it's like every single lever of the of the kite's cockpit labeled and I'm just oh, like yeah. there's no like you know, <laughs> it, it's like okay yeah no like Terry understood the medium and that is that's delightful for me it, it, it's you know like I I don't know I, this is one of those things where I'm like I'm all, I always assume like I because because Terry and Neil Gaiman are like associated in my head together I think Terry did like a, I, I, I like I assume immediately that Terry did like comic books or something but he didn't um, because it's like it reminds me of like when a good comic creator is like using you know like you know working with the artist to create something that couldn't that could only exist in that medium and there's a lot of fun parts of the illustrations that are really elevating what could very easily be like one of the most forgettable Discworld stories. Yeah. So you say that um, before the podcast, I wanted to refresh my memory on it. And I actually listened to the audio book. So Stephen Briggs reading it. So not looking at the pictures, just listening to the story. And I, was sort of caught in it. I was quite happy listening to the it was four hours, I think four and a half hours um, long for the audio book and it flew by. And um, I think it was a whole different experience listening to it um, without any, any pictures or anything. I, I'd say it was a, it's a really good story mm. with some questionable bits thrown in yeah i think that possibly the number of half or full page illustrations can sort of disrupt the flow of the story almost sometimes yeah but on the other hand like the the shots of of the elephants you know scarred by by meteorite strikes and stuff just giving Mm. you this huge sense of scale It, it really is gorgeous work or even that one at the beginning, right after, right after the text explains what would happen to the disc if mm-hmm. if Cohen succeeds, yeah, yeah. and um, you yeah. know, the, the the illustration with you know the turtle and the elephants all as skeletons, oh, so good, um, mm-hmm. was really striking to me. So much of Kidby's art is really the definitive version of the characters for me. Well, we'll get into the Kirby Kidby thing later because i do Why are their touch... names so similar yeah, no, no, no. it is very strange <laughs> uh, I, I, there, there's uh, it's early on it's page 28 but there's the there there's an illustration of venadari from the side and i'm like mm-hmm. that that is the appropriate way you should illustrate venadari you should never see a <laughs> uh, face forward it's just the man, the man is too thin it's <laughs> it's delightful it's just like and just how he's like he you know Fingers temple that I'm just like, oh, that that is the that is the quintessential Vatinari in my head now. <laughs> yeah. So now look at that picture and listen to the audiobook with Stephen Briggs doing Vatinari's voice and you could be there. Mm-hmm. You could be talking to it's so good. <laughs> I've got, I actually yeah. haven't listened to any of the audiobooks, which is I it, it's mostly because most of them are I mean, like I think most of them are abridged presently. Um, but I, I, I might have to. I think the Briggs ones are full. Okay. Yeah. So the Nigel Planer ones, mm-hmm. but they're all being redone, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Peter Serafinowicz's death throughout the entire 
yeah. run. I think that's just that's a brilliant. Skurgis as well is going to be doing um, small gods, isn't he? Gollum doing four gods. Yeah, small gods. Sorry. I I love the idea with the with the new recordings of having the footnotes be in the same voice throughout as well. Yeah. Um, to give that kind of like authorial distinction. Mm-hmm. Because the, footno- the footnotes are always so good. There's some great footnotes in this <laughs> book, too. Oh, my God. The Republican bees. You to explain that to me, because I think I missed or like I didn't get it when I read it. I might have just been tired. But um, I mean, I think that it's not I think that it's not big R like we think of Republican. No. It's not the party. It's, you know, Republican as in the, the uh, governmental structure. Oh, OK. OK. I. I this might I, I like I think I started this at like eleven like eleven thirty on a Saturday so that was okay. I did like the return of the pointless albatross. Um, we should talk about themes <laughs> though, just to keep this uh, party bus going, um, keep this wooden salmon going. Um, so yeah, what what's sort of the core message of the book aside from the the fun story? I mean, it's honestly, it's about I, it's about aging and death and get it old yeah and there's also a certain amount with how that intersects with changes in technology and society particularly with the like rapid societal changes and tech boom that the disc is undergoing at this point that you know you've got cohen the horde harry who all you know, they're all kind of behind the times and they don't feel like they can relate to society anymore. I feel like I'd really love to see some interaction between Cohen and the disorganizer. I yeah. think that was just trying to use the thing. And I, like, Bimes gets irate with the imp, but imagine. Yeah, yeah. I um, think you just cut it in half. <laughs> <laughs> And of the of the kind of adventuring group, the one who is the best adjusted, I would say, is Vina, who like she actually did retire and have a life outside of adventuring. And you know, she's got grandkids and everything at this point. Mm-hmm. And so she, you know, she might be still, you know, stabbing bandits with a knitting needle, but um <laughs> but she seems to have like adapted because she has moved forward with her life i want to i want to imagine that vina and like nanny og have like have played canasta together before (laughs) just like that i'm living with that like that personal headcanon yeah they definitely have (laughs) yeah Um, the thing that you left out of the summary anna was that the inspiration for uh this entire uh adventure is that one of the silver horde choked to death on a cucumber uh, as, uh, opposed, yeah. as opposed Not to a concubine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as that opposed they're... to dying in battle. Uh, you know, they, they got so good at being barbarian heroes who were very good at not dying that they eventually succumbed to normal boring things. <laughs> That's not how it was supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of heroes, um, you know, a, another major theme of this book is really interrogating the concept of of the fantasy hero uh, and, you know, like what makes it OK to kill to kill a monster? Uh, well, obviously, 
if a hero does it, then a mon- the monster was a monster and needed to be killed. Uh, reminds me of D&D or any of those. Is it, isn't there a line, as Cohen says, well, I think it's just after the betrayal, and he says, well, we don't check to see if it's an endangered species before we, we kill the beast that's running towards us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then that, that turn at the end, I think, is that an interesting pivot point when when the Silver Horde look at Carrot and are like, well, if we follow the rules, then he has to win because that's yeah. the, that's the rules that we follow. And you know, if he's the hero, then is, are we the villains? Yeah. Um, I thought it was also uh, kind of an interesting, it felt kind of like a send off to me, not just of Cohen and the silver horde, but of the kind of initial, you know, sword and sandal type of fantasy that we started out with, with color of magic Mm -hmm. and continued for a while, um, Mm -hmm. kind of in that vein. And this feels like kind of a fond sunsetting of that in favor of the like more industrial fantasy that, um, you that we've had for a while and that we will continue to have for the rest of the books. Yeah, in a weird way, this book feels like a parallel to me with um, Color of Magic and and Light Fantastic in in its story structure, in that it's Rincewind being dragged along in a series of almost of loosely connected vignettes. Um, they're they're more connected this time though because Terry's twenty seven books in uh, <laughs> and really knows what he's doing, uh, and it's all with all characters that we know. Now, as long as, you know, aside from, the, you know, Matt's point about the this being an, an interesting entry point sort of in that pivot. Um, but the the story structure parallel really stuck out to me um, with how we've often talked about how Terry takes an idea from earlier in his books and is like, well, I could do that better. Yeah. And Carrot makes a really interesting Two Flower 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> um because he has some of the same guilelessness yeah. yeah but but at the same time he's not he doesn't he might be guileless but he is kind of jaded at this point <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you can only work with vimes for so long before you do become slightly jaded <laughs> and being an ankh morfolk yeah. on top of that and being in a relationship with a werewolf has got to have some sort of knock-on effect to your personality on it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just thinking back to Color of Magic and this book, I, uh, to get a little meta here, and we, we've talked before about, like, why Color of Magic sort of just doesn't, particularly for, like, a modern entry point, just doesn't work anymore because it's it's aping a subgenre of fantasy that just, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, Like, that Sword and Sandals, mm-hmm. they're... they're if you see a sword and sandals type of fantasy, it's most likely going to be a deconstruction of it or a very specific play on it. Um, like I think the, the last like sword and sandals novel I read was throne of the crescent moon by Saladin Ahmed, uh, which is like a very specific play and inversal it like in reversal of that by making it like, you know, a fantasy world that's based on Islam and middle Eastern, a myth, uh, like myth 
And at the same time, like, we're saying this is like a send-off for, like, Rincewind and Cohen. It's about this time when we stop seeing those books being published. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's it's about this time where we're not seeing that traditional, you know, I and mean, it's been going on for probably about a decade there, where that traditional adventure fantasy is sort of tailing off. Um, mm-hmm. This is me getting maybe more meta than it could be, but also, you know, me reading into it, it's... It, I think it's interesting, at least, and it's like, you know, and, you know, flipping mm-hmm. that to, okay, well, this is a different type of fantasy now that we're seeing published. No research, only vibes. <laughs> I, I, I'm i sorry. I, <laughs> I I think we determined that any research I do for this podcast could lead to spoilers. Um, <laughs> That's true, actually. <laughs> that is true. So any other themes? No, I think that's pretty, it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any buttons or, or things that stood out to you as Terry sort of turning and talking to the audience? Matt, you had a few. Yeah, so um, I think for me that there was two sort of standout characters that like we said, there's Cohen. Cohen. Um, and when the bard says, why are you doing it? Why are you taking fire back to the gods? And there's obviously all these ridiculously funny answers that you get and then Cohen turning around said because they let us grow old and it, I think there's like a slight pause after that on the audio book and obviously when you're reading it I think you're probably going to be like oh, okay this is like this is a big thing like this is how people will feel they're seeing all their friends die this is they are getting old and they're not being able to do all the things they used to do. They're not being able to be the hero that they were. Um, as much as they can still kill whatever monster they want, they, they're not, they still ache in the morning. They, their backs need cracking. Um, so for me, that that one line, which was immediately followed by them being attacked by uh, by Harry and his, um, his band of idiots. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it, it's just the way that Terry's inserts these little lines that make you think and the other one for me is Leonard of Gwerm and I think he's like one of the main characters in this and then we haven't really spoke too much and I feel quite sorry for him like as a character throughout this book because obviously Betanari has him locked away for probably good reason um and there's a line quite early on where he's saying about well you gave me the the hole in the the, the roof so I can see the sky um, and obviously then he's got the dream of flying and he finally gets to have a flying machine that doesn't just crash and the dragons and then when the, the, there's a moment where he's um, he just is watching the birds, I think Carrot and Rincewind are having a, a little argument in the background and then it, it just says about him having a tear in his eye and he's watching these birds flying and he's kind of got that dream he's, he's doing it and then later on, when they're, they're getting the boons, um, I think just before that, the gods say, well, if we've wanted people to fly, we would have given them wings. And he said, you did give me wings as soon as you showed me a bird. Mm-hmm. And I think these yeah. little things, like, throughout all this humour, throughout all these pictures, I think these little things sort of stood out for me and made me think, oh, this is Terry Pratchett's, right? It, like, regardless of whether it feels like a bit of a fanfic or whatever, he still put all these little bits in, which are classic mm-hmm. Pratchett. Yeah. Yeah. We see a lot of Leonard on the page and 
much more so than any other time we've seen him. And one of the things that really helps him kind of come alive is that a lot of the illustrations that we see are his illustrations of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the kind of background art is illustrations of wings and birds. Mm-hmm. I, I particularly like his um, Rincewind one, which I think <laughs> oh, he mentions as well. The Vitruvian, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's that's the space toilet, right? No, that was the. I think that was the like motion, the the like zero gravity training device. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, because they do also talk about the space toilet at one the, point. Yes. I, I. Oh yeah. I cannot. I cannot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, what if we? What if we put? What if we pull the valve in the wrong order? <laughs> Then you will wish you put the valves in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Which, I'm fairly sure. I'm fairly certain that that's actually accurate to like space toilets. Yeah, is that they have a lot of yeah. intricate valves, and if you pull them in the wrong order, you're gonna really wish that you pulled them in the right uh, order. Just looking at like Renaissance art and stuff. The 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 Cohen picture of like it's the 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 god like reaching out and god touching it and Cohen's just <laughs> yeah just flipping him the bird god. since this is in fact an auditory medium <laughs> one of the footnotes was actually kind of a button for me in addition to all the stuff that you pointed out Matt um so there's this really long footnote which is kind of a thought experiment on the size of heaven um and like you know accounting for you know two-thirds of the space being taken up by you know heavenly host bureaucracy uh etc etc but like the calculations work out so that there's an absurd amount of space for every human soul so terry goes on to then speculate that this is either um you know either to make way you know allow space for aliens and or people's pets (laughs) (laughs) which i it was like it was a fun little like thought experiment and i thought i felt like it was a nice little like look into terry's brain (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like you like there, there are footnotes when you realize like how much thought he puts into something like for example the the one that will always stick in my head is the space invaders yeah uh the, oh the my space god invaders machine. Yes. And i'm just like you had a weekend where you thought about this and you said it to somebody <laughs> and somebody said how long did it take you to think this up <laughs> and, and i mean it's and yeah it's delightful and it's just and the heaven one is for me is just like I started doing the math in my head of like, how much is a million cubic feet? (laughs) (laughs) We've talked here and there over the last couple of years about the various, um, I would, I don't know if I would call them fully self insert characters, but like granny and vimes both clearly are some portion of Terry's soul. Uh, and I feel like Leonard of Quirm has got to be the insert character for Terry's, you know, inspiration antenna. And that, because it just comes across as so real that like that, that 
constant work and constant frustration that it isn't coming out the way you had it in your head and and more so and like the, one of the things that i think really was terry speaking through leonard the he's uh is asking him about you know the the people that he needs for for the to build the 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 spaceship while they're traveling on boat and he's like well Leonard's like well you know i'll, I'll get you the um the finest craftsmen, you know, and, and Leonard's like, no, I don't want, I don't want the, the, um, the people who've completed their, their training. I want apprentices because they don't yet know what's impossible or something along the lines of that. Yeah. You haven't learned the limits of the possible. Um, the other bit, speaking again of veterinary, um, when they're talking about, you know, monsters and, and tyranny he says who precisely defines the monstrousness of the monsters and the tyranny of the tyrants um it's a question that we have to ask and i think that while this is a relatively light book in comparison i mean our last guest talked about sort of this breathing space uh between the last big heavy hitter book and night watch I think that I think that we see some foreshadowing of things that he wants to talk about. Yeah. And how else are you going to get space travel into the disc game? That's true. You got yeah. all of those Apollo thirteen jokes oh, yeah. out. Oh my gosh, I love I love like all the NASA stuff, like the 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 point where like the illustration that is just the very iconic like NASA crew photo. Mm-hmm. But like I oh yeah, Rincewind Rincewind is just made so like I I'm. I, I listeners will remember that I am we'll say not a Rincewind fan. He is much more sympathetic when I could see his miserable face. <laughs> <laughs> I also desperately want that mission patch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we talked to the the folks at Pratchat a few books ago, they mentioned that a bunch of the like science of Discworld books mm-hmm. um have these have this sort of like running short story slash novelette with Rincewind mm. going mm-hmm. through them. Yeah, them trying to find him is so I think he gets stuck in um the dungeon dimension or or something like that. Yeah. Um and this actually made me a lot more interested in reading those, like, because I feel like that's a I I, I was pretty happy with Rincewind in this one. I think it's about the right dose of Rincewind. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Definitely made me a lot more interested in picking up the science of Discworld books. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed Rincewind in um, uh, Interesting Times and Last Continent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've got to admit, uh, when he sort of uh, when he gets a little bit more agency and like things are still yeah. happening to him, but he's like he's got a little bit more interaction with the plot he's not, not yeah. just running from yeah. the plot at all moments yeah mm-hmm. i i do like the rings win too rather than the oh no i don't want this to happen to me but i prefer the oh here we go again <laughs> yeah i don't have a choice the might as well just do it yeah and that that's the rinse when we got here <laughs> he's, like, he's the one who proposes the mission patch uh um slogan i mean i i think the part where i was like i got him for this book was where he comes up to veterinary says i don't volunteer (laughs) (laughs) and and, and, and like i beg your pardon he's like 
I don't volunteer, but I'm going to end up here anyways, because if I try to get out of it, I'm going to get knocked on the head and end up on the ship anyways. <laughs> just like, And instead the orangutan gets knocked yeah. on the head and ends up on the ship. Yeah. Well, it, as well, when he says to, to Veterinary, um, oh, what, what do I need to do to get out of it? What if I say I'm crazy? And Veterinary says, well, to be honest, you'd have to be crazy to go on a mission like this. <laughs> he said, okay, well, I'm not crazy. Well, that's great because as um, the lead, the ruler of Ankh-Morpork, I need my best minds on this mission. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, borrowing yeah. directly from Catch-22. <laughs> um, I think one of my favorite small bits, too, is when Carrot experiences the overview effect, uh, which is this thing that, that astronauts report uh, experiencing this sort of like perspective shift when they're up in uh, on the moon or, or even in low earth orbit where they, they stop seeing, you know, individual portions of the disc and see it as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the other hand, many of the things built by BS Johnson end up being listed on cause of death. That was, <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> oh, and um, you know, speaking of carrot and the overview effect, that that was such a funny little scene because Carrot's like, you know, when you look down, you can't see the borders between between the uh between the nations. It makes you think. And everybody else is like, oh well we could we could grow like very dense forests and make borders. We could do that. <laughs> or brightly colored roads. Yeah. Tr- which which sort of reminds me of the fact that the in fact the exact opposite happens on the U.S. Canada border. Uh, there's like there's a very specific provision that like there that you have to have like that they have to you have to clear like there's basically like a, a clearance uh, provision of like you have to clear X amount of distance across the U.S. Canada border of trees. Um, I don't remember what the actual distance is, but it's basically like this line of like <laughs> chopped down trees running, you know, across the entire continent of North America. Oh, gosh, what was it? Oh, also very funny, but the, the, the fire of the gods that uh, Coven is returning, it's just C4. That's what it is. Yeah. It's C4. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. It's like thunder wait, clay. It's yeah. a clay that has to be ignited. Oh, <laughs> with, a, with a special acid yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah although 50 kilos or pounds or whatever I'm not sure would do the whatever it's magic um, uh, other favorite bits uh, let's see. for me that it's just kind of a bit of a throwaway but you got Def and Albert talking and you just got a kitten in a box <laughs> And Jeff's trying to understand the, the mentality of what's meant to happen to this kitten. <laughs> so he, he suggested that like, I'm going to kill him. Uh, I mean, it's not like I'm going to pull a mean face. <laughs> it's just how how annoyed Jeff was that this is a thing. And quite, he sounded quite relieved or seems quite relieved that it's it's a metaphor and it's made up. There, there are three <laughs> images across three uh, across like the four pages this is on the first is like uh, in all of these Paul Kitty has drawn the most photogenic kitten possible like this cat is <laughs> like almost comically adorable uh, it's like the epitome <laughs> of kittenness yeah, it, it, it is like the funny enough I do actually have that cat uh, like I 
is my cat in the kitten form. Um, <laughs> and but my favorite one of like, there's one that where like where Death is sitting at the table like stroking, stroking the kitten. There's one where like Albert, uh, Death, and it's like and they're holding the cat in the box. But there's one that's the kitten playing with Death of Rat's tail. The and tail. It's yes. I. This is so. I I can't deal with I, this. I want to make that out of Lego. That, that's one of my little mini builds that I want to do. Um, as soon as I saw the picture, I was like, I've, I've got to do that. That would be so oh. good. And similarly, I'm like, I need a print of that. Yeah. <laughs> Terry loves fiddling with quantum, though, doesn't he? Because this is the whole, like, Schrodinger's cat experiment thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love I, I love death. Every time they they... Every time he explores an idea with death as the perspective, you know, which is who's just like, okay, but assume I have no relevant knowledge. <laughs> Explain this to me. I, the other bit that I really like, and I, I didn't realize how much I liked it until just before the the, the podcast, and I, I was reading it again, and it's about the boons and carrot having to explain to the gods. That's, that's a balloon. What I want is for us to be saved from men's been saying, actually, I'd quite like a balloon, a blue one. Don't ask. Like, And then and then obviously when it gets to the librarian, he's saying, oh, I want all these supplies. And there's a ook. Oh, he wants a balloon as well, a red one. And then <laughs> and the illustration of the, the librarian <laughs> holding the balloon. It's so good. Uh, and and I, I love that this book also continues the tradition of having death show up uh, and talk to Rincewind. And Rincewind's yes. like, does this mean I'm going to die? And death's like, who the fuck knows? Not me. <laughs> Things Squints. have gotten weird recently. Yeah. Let's see, I guess we could talk about the art now. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it does it does looking at kirby's art versus kidby's art it it really is a a stylistic shift and i think don't at me friends who listen to this podcast i think for the better agreed um i i do enjoy the old uh covers and stuff like that from the uh kirby art However, there's there's a fair amount of like she breasted boobily in there, yeah. and <laughs> I I'm I'm liking the shift away from that and to like it's still a very kind of caricatured style, um, mm-hmm. where you know physical characteristics are very accentuated, um, in order to like give the sense of personality, but that kind of that 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 sort of aspect has been toned down significantly and it honestly i think it matches with the the tonal shift um you know to from sword and sandal to more modern fantasy mm-hmm. but somebody actually um commented on one of my posts recently and said that they their parents had the or that one of their parents had the old books with the the Josh Kirby covers and as a child, they actually scared him and he wouldn't go near the Terry Pratchett books because he was so scared of the illustrations of these, yeah, like you said, the, the strange, overly busty women. And you can all, almost imagine these weird chubby cherubs being painted on them as well, quite the way they're done. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that the, you know, I mean, the current covers, 
I'm not a fan of, but certainly I think the the old um the old Kirby covers, I think if you were a person in a used bookstore or something like that, they would be really off-putting these days. <laughs> um because you would look at them and think that the book was something that it's not. Can you imagine how terrifying the Wee Free Men would be if Josh Kirby had drawn it? <laughs> I can't imagine him drawing any Tiffany books. No, honestly, I couldn't either. <laughs> uh, and you know, even like looking at the the Granny Weatherwax from like from Equal Rights <laughs> compared to to Kidby's Granny, like it just is. It's a totally different characterization, and I think way closer to what uh, what Terry portrays her as in the books. Yeah, definitely. All the even if you look like Dibbler and. Um, there's a there's a picture of all the the wizards together and mm-hmm. like they they're all how you would imagine. Mm-hmm. I like you said. I think when you're reading the books, that's what they look like. Mm-hmm. I found a little thing talking about uh, po- their back and forth the developing ponder. Uh, uh, apparently, the the first iteration came out looking a little too much like John Lennon, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Terry said, "Make him more Bill Gatesy." <laughs> Is that why they did the joke in the the Discworld game? Because I'm pretty sure there were four wizards sat around Hex, and they all had um, what's going to say scouts, uh, Liverpool accents. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that's probably why they did it. Then I didn't realize that could be. John yeah. I actually just ordered the T-shirt that uh, Ponder's wearing in the book too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good T-shirt. It really is. I'm gonna wear it till the next con I go to, whenever that is. Um, one thing I absolutely love is how the the silver horde is drawn. Um, mm-hmm. There's just this like feralness to them that I absolutely yes. love. Just like all of them have like you know, it's this yeah. I, they're just delightfully angry, and the fact that they're that they all get their like weird. I'm trying to think of like how I want to describe, but it's just like they have there. There's a ranginess to them that like feels really nice where it's like they, they, they are, they still look heroic, but they do not look like, um, they don't look like, like Liefeldian or anything mm-hmm. <laughs> to lack. Yeah. To la- you, you definitely wouldn't want them coming to rescue. Yeah, you. <laughs> it's like, it's like they both, they both look like old men and they look like they could absolutely fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> and going back to Trollbridge for a second, um, the actor that they got for uh, Cohen looks astonishingly like the, the art in this book. It's really impressive. Uh, can we talk about Evil Harry? Oh. Yes, let's talk yes. about Evil Harry. <laughs> Who is not going to lie? I mean, I, I love me. I love me a genre conscious villain. Um, but the last of the genre conscious villains is, uh, oh my gosh, I would die for him. I love him. He's he's a piece of shit. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's completely honest about being a piece of shit. He's yeah. like, I'll come along with you, but I'm going to betray you. And they're all like, yeah, I mean, we, that's part of the package. Mm-hmm. And then he betrays, he, and then he betrays them. It's like, I told you I wouldn't. And they're like, yeah, you did. We're cool. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. Just a life. Um, and the, all the bits with like how much effort he has to go to, to get truly stupid henchmen. Yeah. 
And also how many jobs he's had. Like, I, yeah, I was the spider god for a while. and Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's also interesting, um, again, with that kind of, you know, playing with genres and tonal shift. Because he he's kind of matches up with what we've seen in, say, uh, Carpe Jaculum with the, the concept of, like, the the old master versus the new vampires mm-hmm. um that you know evil harry is definitely like he's of an era with the you know with the old vampires mm-hmm. um with the you know with the kind of notion of being you can be evil but you can but you have to be sporting about it Mm-hmm. And you have to lose as well. Like he said about locking the, the heroes away where there's clear instructions on how to get out of the, the cell mm-hmm. and things like that. And knowing that his henchmen have to be idiots. And yeah, was it the stupid lizard men that just say nork, nork? And, <laughs> <laughs> and the troll named Death's me. God. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's, that's how it works, though, isn't it? So the hero wins over the villain. The villain will look like they're reformed. They'll stab him in the back and then they'll go off and be allowed to go free and do it all again a few years later with a new plan and fail again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Except if the bard says, actually, but I'm not part of that story, so basically don't piss me off because I'm not going to have any of the same crap that the heroes have. <laughs> and it's paralleled with the infiltration plan that the Horde has where they're all dressing up as, you know, various small gods. Uh, the god of fish. Yeah. God. <laughs> Was it the god of foul language or something? Yeah. All those lines? The god, god of, of stuff. Swearing. The god of stuff. Yeah. The god of stuff. <laughs> And it's honestly like not clear to me that the that the gods up in Corey Celeste are actually much smarter than Harry's henchmen. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, I do like the way the gods all speak to each other as well, and like just like they're at the pub mm-hmm. having a, a few drinks with some friends. What? Why are you making them not be able to eat chocolate? It's broccoli. Broccoli is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! I forgot that Nuggan is uh, big in uh, a much later book. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can't talk about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Lo- I did love the little bit where uh, Cohen cuts the die. I'm yes. just like, yeah. <laughs> you didn't, like, you know, there's no rules that say Show I me can't the cut rules the die. Says I can't do it. Has has very big yeah. hair butt <laughs> energy there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's no rules in the dog can't play basketball. And actually, I kind of really like the return of the gods game. Yeah. It was it's a framing yeah. device that I really liked, even even with the the rough bits in the first two books. I liked the gods game a lot, and the lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lady. I sort of wish that she'd never been entirely on camera, though. I don't know, at least on the page. I feel like she should always be just out of frame. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. One thing that I feel was missing, uh, because there was so much space program stuff in this, where's Otto? 
<laughs> Otter should be taking pictures. Like, I don't know. That was my one thought. Yeah, yeah. I think we're at the point where the the Ink More Pork Times has not been like fully integrated into the mm. disc yet. Mm-hmm. It will be right. very soon, but yeah. but it's not. It hasn't quite reached like full integration yet. Speaking of the times, though, uh, this book knows that it happened because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but on page twelve, uh, the photo of uh, or the, the the art of Leonard Decorum, um, there's a parrot with the word "dog" written on it. Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is a throwaway throwaway gag from the truth. You've got you've got the no one remembers the singer bit. Oh yeah, the 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 little. Um, I don't know if would you call it an epilogue? Yeah, I guess I call it an epilogue. You know, the no one remembers the singer or the song remains is the closing line of this book. And I think the thing that I really love about this project and about the whole GNU Terry Pratchett thing, which Justin, I promise you will understand someday soon. Uh and <laughs> uh the whole speak his name stuff is that we do remember the singer. You know, that's every time we talk about these books, every time we read these books, we're remembering Sir Terry. And I don't know. I think that that means a lot. The, the good thing about this as well, you also remember the, the bassist and the drummer, which most people do forget. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely think um, Paul Kibbe is a good lead guitarist to go alongside yeah. the Pratchett when it comes to the illustrations and understanding what, division was i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh anything else we want to talk about in there we we mentioned a few times that there's a lot of space program stuff there's a there's you know an apollo 11 reference there's an apollo 13 reference um i loved the little discussion about the the borer which is that awful looking squid with the like yeah yeah and then, you know, the note, it's vital that the crew split up to look for it if one gets on board. <laughs> uh, it's also confirmed that uh, I've got to get one of these, the thing that um, that Rincewin says about the looking behind you without having to turn your head device, uh, is, is in fact a direct reference to, to Will Smith and Independence Day. Is it really? Beautiful. <laughs> I, I envision him saying it in the same voice now. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Gotta get me one of these. One of my favorite little little bits from this is um, so there's an illustration of like all the different breeds of dragon, mm-hmm. um, and they're like pros and cons, mostly cons, um, and one of them is like the nothing fjord blue which is always pining for home and it was just <laughs> you know great great python's reference <laughs> yeah and the, the footnote that it's from uh lady sybil's uh guide or the show guides show treasures guide to dragons by lady sybil ramkin which I'm kind of bummed didn't take the same path as uh, Where's My Cow and uh, the one from from Raising Steam in terms of becoming a a real uh, supplementary fiction. Yeah. The World of Pooh is the other one. World of Pooh, yeah. (laughs) Which is, 
surprisingly solid book. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I need to get my hands on it. This was surprisingly solid, like intentional wording for book and output. Like, uh, <laughs> ooh, um, <laughs> no, I meant, I meant like it's, it's, you know, it's it, been a while since we had a poop up, joke like, on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's fun to I read. Quality and class. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, anything else? Um. Last chance before we get into our ratings. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I, 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 I mean, I've already said that I would die for evil Harry. So I've got everything that I can for this book. <laughs> hmm. It definitely made me crave a spell jammer campaign with all the space stuff. I always I crave a spell jammer campaign. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> uh, there is, um, one image, um, with Ponder Ridcully and the luggage and the, the sea monsters. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, with a bit of a reference to the Christopher Columbus sort of style maps with the, the mm. sea monsters on it. They are actually the same sea monsters you get on it. And, and also the luggage yeah, habit of brutally stomping sea monsters to death. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a very angry boy. Oh, that God, that little scene where, where Rinswin is like, no, you can't follow me this time. Every time you go in the air, you get lost. <laughs> And then you go kill a god. <laughs> you can't have that. Imagine what would have happened if the luggage had gone along, though. And ended up at Cory Celesti. I yeah. want to see the luggage fight gods. <laughs> <laughs> it has been, I, it has been, I don't know, maybe 20 books since I've seen the luggage murder something. <laughs> <laughs> well, less than that. I mean, the luggage is in the last continent. Uh, true. I don't think it did a lot of murder in that, though. Yeah, no, mm. it was pretty pretty murder light. It did get it, it did join a drag queen troop, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bless. <laughs> so, uh, how would we rate this book, uh, Justin? Ten out of thirteen Apollo flights, Matt. <laughs> I went seven out of ten exploding swamp dragons, but after like talking about it and realizing actually I enjoyed it more than I even thought. I'm going to up that to 8 out of 10 Exploding Swamp Dragons. Uh, Anna? I'm going to give it 7 out of 8 tentacles on an imaginary space octopus. And <laughs> I give it 42 out of 50 kilos of thunder clay. Uh, and while Justin is doing, getting ready for our next bit, Matt, um, where can people find you on the internet? So I am on Twitter at Lego at Mawpork. Um there's also some links in there for Instagram, which um, most of my stuff is on, on Twitter at the moment. I will be doing a, a Discworld quiz on Friday on my Instagram, though, so I'll be putting the link in from there. Um, also, there's a there's a link in my Twitter bio to where I'm going to be saving all my instructions. So Rihanna Pratchett has kindly allowed me to to publish the, the instructions to my work. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so the one I'm working on at the moment, which um, the Discord Emporium had to also signed off, is Lego Thud. Oh, oh cool. Nice. Um, I'm just trying to currently work it down a little bit because the first run through, um, the parts came to like £260. Mm. <laughs> so I'm guessing people don't want to pay that much for <laughs> something that I've designed. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just working out some kinks, and then, yeah, that's going to be on there pretty soon. Excellent. Well, Justin. Yes. Our next book. 
Um, I it is the um, yeah okay I've got the right one okay. The amazing more recent is educated rodents book twenty eight, uh, which means that we are seventy percent done or close. Oof. Is it the first young adult book in the the main Discord yes, series? I think it may be. Yeah. yeah. Um, the amazing Maurice runs the perfect Pied Piper scam. This streetwise alley cat knows the values of cold hard cash and can talk his way into and out of anything. But when Maurice and his cohorts decide to con the town of Bad Blinnets, it will take more than fast talking to survive the danger that awaits. For this is a town where food is scarce and rats are hated, where cellars are lined with deadly traps, and where terrifying evil lurks beneath the hunger-stricken streets. Sedentary Pratchett Discworld, this masterfully crafted gripping read is both compelling and funny. When one of the world's most acclaimed fantasy writers turns a classic fairy tale on its head, no one will ever look the Pied Piper or rats the same way again. Excellent. It's a fun book. It's a really fun book. My kids love this book, and I love this book. It is brilliant. I, I really enjoyed that as well. And um, I'll also say that I fairly recently listened to the audiobook for this, which is stellar. It is very good. <laughs> and there's an animated feature coming of it very soon with a ridiculous cast list. Yeah. It is. I mean, I'm super excited for that. Yeah. I, th I think it'll work really well as an animation. I think so too. Yeah. I can't wait for you to uh, to fully meet Maurice. Yeah, Justin, this is this is going to solve all of your Grebo issues. Okay. Okay. And more. <laughs> <laughs> The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.